Hello, my name is Karina Ricker. I am the Reference and Government Information Librarian here at the University at Albany. Welcome to this installment of Librarians with Lattes, a podcast dedicated to being informed, reading, and staying caffeinated. Our guest today is Camille Chesley, Reference Librarian and Subject Librarian for Journalism here at the University. Welcome, Camille. Thank you, Karina. So, Camille, what are you drinking over there today? I am drinking a mocha latte with four shots of espresso, so hopefully I don't vibrate out of this chair. <laughs> wow, very impressive. Officially, I think you're our first interviewee who's actually drinking a latte, so <laughs> congratulations. I feel like I shouldn't say thank you, or you're welcome for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome. Camille, you've been a librarian for a number of years. Would you talk a little bit about your experiences being a person of color in this field? I guess the first word that comes to mind sometimes is it's a bit lonely because even though I love my coworkers, I love the students that I work with, I love my job and I love what I do, it's um, difficult walking through an institution that has historically not not been for me and people like me because librarianship is a pretty white field. It's overwhelmingly white and female. You're very aware of that. Not to say that because I'm the only black person in my library that I feel unwelcome or that I feel that I'm not a valued member of the library. There's just something about the experience of working with other people of color who have similar background that just makes you feel supported because no matter how well-meaning or how friendly anyone else is, there's something about being together with a person that you know has a similar background. There's um, a shared experience when you're a person of color, you know, in the society, in librarianship, you know, that other people just don't share. It's like no one else will know the experience of sort of being subjected to um, overt or subtle racism, like microaggressions. Um, no one else will know the experience of, um, I guess, having your professionalism or your experience doubted, quite like someone else who's also a member of a minority. Hmm. So it sounds as if there are things you don't need to say to each other because you already know it exists. You've already experienced it. Yeah, no matter how our backgrounds differ, when I meet another librarian of color, we have some kind of similarities. You know, we just know we're all different people, and so we're experiencing the field through our lens of, um, through the lens of our personal experiences. There's going to be some sort of shared background. But that's why when I go to conferences, I tend to gravitate to people of color. I tend to gravitate to a lot of my friends in librarianship who are um, also librarians of color because it's, you know, it's just a really supportive environment because, again, we share a lot of these same experiences. And in librarianship, with regards to diversity, we tend to focus more on recruitment rather than retention. And so a lot of my friends in the field, we've been through library recruitment initiatives initiatives, which has been really helpful with regards to kind of building a shared community. So even though often we're the only people of color at our institutions, they're still a supportive network. We, we have supportive networks on, on Facebook, we have Slack uh, communities, we, you know, there are whole communities on Twitter that, where we can all just sort of talk and ask for support. Well, what would you like to see being done in libraries with regard to retention? Did you have any ideas about that? 
Well, <laughs> the first step that could be quite helpful would be acknowledgement of the problem. I feel like um, we're still at a point where, as a profession, we haven't really acknowledged a lot of the sort of social and cultural and historical factors that make librarianship, um, that can make parts of librarianship unwelcoming for people of color. Because there's this really interesting term that I've been seeing um, floating around lately called vocational awe, and I feel horrible because I can't remember the librarian who originated <laughs> it. But it's this idea that as librarians, we kind of tend to view our profession as something above reproach. While the field of librarianship, our ideals and our principles are wonderful, you know, we still can't ignore the fact that librarianship and libraries have not always been a welcoming environment. When I was in Orlando in 2016 for the ALA annual conference, I had the fortune I had the good fortune of going to see John Lewis, who was there to promote his series of graphic novels, March, which talked about basically his childhood, his life growing up, and his participation in the civil rights movement. And one of the things that he said was that even though he grew up in Alabama, one of the things that he said was that, um, you know, when he went to the library to go get a library card, he was told that, hey, you know, library cards are only for white people. And John Lewis is someone who is still alive. And so as a field, we tend to ignore some of these um, sociocultural factors that traditionally manifested in librarianship. For example, I know, Karina, your expertise is in cataloging. And so some of the ways in which um, these historical inequities manifest in cataloging, you know, you've got, let's take the history of homosexuality, which historically has been cataloged as a mental illness or um, some sort of sexual abnormality, or you have, let's say, black history or Latino history. When you look at the subject headings in the catalog, it says history, then African-American history. And so when I read that, it says to me that the default is white history. Mm -hmm. And then the history of African-Americans are basically a subset of actual history. I think that as a field, we kind of don't understand you know how someone who's of a minority might look at that mm -hmm. and I think that those uh, Library of Congress subject headings do reflect uh, social norms but they're behind social norms so for a long time the subject heading for African Americans was Afro Americans and you know people were actually using that terminology until people were saying no that's a hairstyle that's not a person and uh, so now it's African-Americans. So you've just touched on so many things that got my brain going in all su such ways. When you talk about acknowledging the problem, are you speaking about from the profession as a whole at an institutional level or at a person-to-person -person level? Yeah, I would say both because you know, as a librarian, person-to-person, -person, that's how most of my interaction with the profession happens at the level of, you know, at the level of my relationships within my institution, but then also at a professional level from an organizational level. But as a profession, ALA sets down so many guidelines that we as librarians and we as institutions try to strive toward. And so having acknowledgement from the highest level in our profession, I think, can only help us when we go forward. Do you think that your experience as a librarian is any different than, say, if you were a different profession, say, lawyer or doctor? Do, do you have any concept of how it might be different in librarianship? Well, to be honest, I've only ever been a librarian, so. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so I've only ever been a librarian, so I'd hesitate to speak about other fields, but I can say that, you know, other friends of mine who are people of color, who are doctors, who are lawyers, you know, they experience the same thing in their field. You know, I've had um, friends who are doctors they tell me stories about how they've been mistaken for nurses or how, you know, generally subordinates have been, or, um, you know, white subordinates have been taken for their, um, been taken for their employers or their supervisors. So, I mean, I'd say that the experience is probably similar no matter what profession you're in. Mm -hmm. Earlier you mentioned microaggressions. Did you want to say anything more about that? Uh, sure. Microaggressions is a term, and again, I feel awful because I can't remember um, off the top of my head who coined the term. I wish I could give you credit. But microaggressions are basically, rather than what we think of as kind of like overt racism as someone using a slur or, um, you know, someone obviously denigrating someone, based on, um, you know, based on race or sexual orientation or gender or whatnot. These are more subtle actions that kind of, um, they're subtle, um, they're subtle actions that, uh, that support um, this idea of white supremacy. It's like, for example, you know, some of the ones that I've been subjected to, things like, say, um, God, as a child, I can't even count how many times I've heard some nice old ladies say, oh, you speak so well, which, you know, it was always just random strangers, like in grocery stores or um, malls or out, you know, just anywhere out in public. And basically this person, they know absolutely nothing about me. And they say, oh, you speak so well. But then, you know, it, What's on, the surprise yeah, exactly. About? On the surface, it seems like it's a compliment, but then... And a lot of microaggressions are like this. Once you dig a little deeper, it's kind of like, speak so well as compared to what? Like, you know nothing about me, so how are you expecting me to speak? Mm -hmm. I've been pretty fortunate that I haven't had to deal with this often in, um, in a professional capacity, but other librarians have told me about exper you know, experiences where they've had people they doubt their professionalism, will imply that, hey, you know, you're only in your position because you're a minority, or, you know, saying things like, oh, you guys always sit together, or something like that, or I feel like you guys are conspiring over there in the corner when you have more than one person of color sitting together. But it's like librarianship is 87% white or something ridiculous like that. You kind of think, hey, by default, most white people in the profession are sitting together, but no one says anything to them about that. So I know you've been conducting research into librarians of color. Uh, you've co-authored a chapter in a book. The book hasn't been published yet. The book's title is Pushing the Margins, Women of Color and Intersectionality in Library and Information Science. Your chapter is titled The Burden of Care, Cultural Taxation of Women of Color Librarians, on the tenure track. There's a lot of vocabulary in there that I, I need a breakdown on. Would you be willing to do that for me? Sure. Let me start with the title of, uh, let's start with the title of the book. The title, Pushing the Margins, is actually a reference to um, a chapter from the author Kimberly Crenshaw. She wrote this really wonderful article where she coined the term intersectionality. And the title of the article is, um, Demarginalizing the intersection of race and sex, 
and she coined this term intersectionality. Basically, intersectionality is this idea that one's, um, that one's experience in the world can't be boiled down to one aspect of their identity. It's one of the metaphors that she uses is that if you're kind of standing in the middle of an intersection and cars are coming, you know, you can be hit by cars coming from, from one direction or you can be hit by cars that are coming from all directions. And so it's this idea that as a black female, you can't pin my experience down to just being black or just being female. It's in terms of um, understanding my experience, you have, you have to understand that gender and race both have a very real impact on how you experience the world and how people, other people experience you. Like there are, for example, let's just throw something out there, there are stereotypes that apply to black women that don't apply to black men, or there are, experience, or there are stereotypes that might apply to um, that might apply to gay women, that don't apply to um, black women. The title of our chapter, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention my co-author and my partner in crime, Tarita Namdujai. Our research is most definitely a joint enterprise, and I couldn't have done any of this without her. So thanks to her. The term burden of care actually came out of medical literature in the 80s or 90s. It's a term that's used to apply to the mental, physical, and emotional burden that's placed on caregivers. And caregiving is usually a gendered concept, much like housekeeping or you know, emotional labor, etc. And so we thought that this would be a particularly apt lens through which to view librarianship, since you know librarianship is a heavily female field. Let's see, and cultural taxation is a term that was coined by Amado Padilla in, I believe, 1994. And it's this, this idea that the, um, the additional tasks and burdens that one takes on because of their cultural background. In academia, it looks like, you know, faculty of color being approached by minority students to mentor them or to um, otherwise provide advice because they know that those faculty of color are have similar experiences um, or have similar interactions with the profession that, that students of color might. So in librarianship, that might look like things like being asked to be on a diversity committee because you're a minority or um, being approached by outside committees to, um, you know, outside committees in the university because of one's cultural background, that sort of thing. So breaking it all down, one of the things that we wanted to do with our research is we wanted to see how these two paradigms might intersect in librarianship. Because as we know, it's a heavily female profession and it's also a profession where, you know, diversity is kind of, um, you know, diversity is kind of a hot button word at the moment. Like we see diversity tracks in conferences, we see diversity in our um, professional publications, but we wanted to see, um, we wanted to take a look at the actual lived experiences of women of color in the field. We designed a survey 
based around these two concepts. We sought out women of color who were in positions where they were either tenure track or promotion track at their institutions, and we wanted to ask them things about basically how they experience the profession. But we asked them questions about their background, how long they've been in the profession, their um, racial and gender identities. We asked them questions about their experience in the profession, so whether or not they felt like they had been assigned more committee work based on their gender or their racial identities, whether or not they felt that their libraries were supportive, whether or not they felt that their institutions were supportive environments. We really wanted to get a sense of the lived experience of women of color in libraries and also how this affected their professional development because, for example, when we were doing our literature review, we really didn't see anything out there that kind of got at this issue, and we were curious, and we wanted to see what would happen. That must be a difficult thing if you're new at an institution in a tenure track to figure out whether you're being asked to be on more committees because of your race or gender. I don't think it would be necessarily clear to you. Uh, what were your findings? Well, you say that it would be, uh, that it wouldn't necessarily be clear to you, but one of the things that we found out is that a lot of our respondents, they talked about what they called well-meaning but very awkward and uncomfortable instances where people did say something like, oh, hey, you know, you're a minority, why don't you be on this diversity committee? Or It's um, pretty clear, isn't it? Yeah, okay. it's pretty clear. <laughs> oh. But let's see, so the question, what were some of your findings? You know, one of the interesting things that we found is just the uniformity or the universality of our responses. So no matter how I broke down the results, either by race or by experience in the field or by subject specialty in the field, the results were pretty uniform. It was a little depressing, actually. Mm. <laughs> some of the responses that I found most interesting were a lot of the personal accounts from librarians, because I found that there was this common theme of sort of an internalized burden of care, which I found really interesting, because I expected to see kind of institutionally opposed um, burdens, but one common theme was that a lot of librarians, they felt that they had you know, they felt that they had a duty to take on a lot of these burdens. They felt that they had a duty to, to take on this committee work. They felt that they had a duty to reach out to students of color. They felt that they had a duty to, um, to be a resource for students and on campus, because otherwise, as many of them said, who else is going to do this? Does that go back a little bit to, did you call it professional awe? Um, vocational, vocational awe. Vocational awe. We're in a service position. The librarians are service mm -hmm. people, and uh, we feel we need to do it all. We feel we need to do more. We need to be overachievers. It almost seems to intersect a little bit there. Yeah, and I think that um, part of this idea of vocational awe, one of the interesting places where it intersects is the idea that this is just such a heavily gendered profession. Because, you know, I can't help but feel that if um, librarianship were mostly a male profession, we wouldn't be asked or we wouldn't be expected to do things like, you know, tend to people who overdosed in the library. But there is an article about a librarian in um, the Philadelphia Public Libraries 
who had actually um, administered medication to victims who had overdosed in the library. And a lot of us, you know, while we read that, we kind of thought, oh my God, this is amazing. And it is. I mean, she's doing wonderful work and she's clearly, um, you know, she's clearly a wonderful, caring person. But when you take a step back, you think, we're librarians. Why are we doing this? Mm. And I feel like there, um, you know, there should be a line to what we're expected to do for our profession. This idea in librarianship that we should do any and everything that we can for our patrons. But we're a profession uniformly that is overworked and underfunded. You just, you feel like there has to be a line here. And I think when it comes to vocational awe, there's this feeling that our profession can do no wrong and that we're constantly being asked to do more with less. And we're constantly kind of congratulating ourselves for this. For succeeding. Yeah, for succeeding. When we should be, when we should stop and say, hey, no, we can't do this. We should not be expected to do this. So that sounds like another article for you. <laughs> it sounds like you have some strong feelings about that. I do have strong feelings yeah. about this. Well, I wish you had more time to find out about your findings from your research, and I just want to. Uh, say out loud that yes, librarians do research. We are in tenure tracks. And I want to repeat the title of the book, Pushing the Margins, Women of Color and Intersectionality in Librarian and Information Science. Do you have any idea, have you heard from the editor about when it might be published? Uh, it will definitely be out in 2018. In fact, I actually just got, um, I actually just got an email with a contract to sign. So right. I'm hoping that that means that um, I'll see it sooner rather than later. And your chapter, you and your co-author's chapter, is Burden of Care, Cultural Taxation of Women of Color Librarians on the Tenure Track. Camille, I want to thank you so much for talking with us today and sharing your personal experience as well as talking about your opinions and your, and your research. Thank I, you for having me. Yes. Oh, sorry. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, I'd like to wrap up our conversation by giving you the chance to tell us what you've been reading and enjoying these days. The life-changing magic of tidying up. I'm hoping to move soon, and I, like many librarians, really enjoy things. Um, I, don't, I don't actually read my collection. I just buy more books, <laughs> or I buy more bookcases, <laughs> and I kind of treat the rest of my life like that, and so I feel like I need to go through and declutter my life. Wonderful. <laughs> We've been speaking with Camille Chesley, reference librarian and subject librarian for journalism. This is Karina Ricker from the University of Albany Libraries thanking you for checking out Librarians with Lattes, a podcast dedicated to being informed, reading, and staying caffeinated. Thank you all for listening and remember to read. Read as if the future depends on it, because it does. Thank you.